feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. What up, son? You gotta just do it, yo. Yeah, man. Yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up? Hold on, man. What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. What up? All good, baby. In every hood, son. What up? Yeah. CNN, Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas is grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime late. Cast more beef than Scarface. Call is now being recorded. Network, Channel 10. It's on again. Yo, yo. Yo. What it do, man? Nothing much, man. Just chilling. See what's going on with you. Man, I'm just maintaining up here. Channel 10 podcast. We're up to what? Episode 5 now. Yeah. Keeping it consistent, keeping it going on. Um, once again, everybody, check out channel10podcast.com. Uh, Channel 10 Podcast on SoundCloud, on Tumblr, on everything that you can think of in the world. We're on Stitcher. Follow us on iTunes. Um, check us out on Twitter. We got Channel 10 Pod. Uh, not the cast on the end on that. And you can check us out on Instagram, Channel 10 Podcast, um, we're on there as well, and probably some more things. If we're not on there, we'll be on there soon, so look out for us. Yep. So, um, I guess to kick this off, man, how you been? How's your week? Uh, you know, I've had a, a week of, of, of uh, ups and downs, you know, dealing with sadness and whatnot. But um, I, I think I ended the week on a uh, on a high note, especially with um, you know, a uh, um, a situation I had, very brief situation uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so you know, I'm trying to be studious or whatever, and I'm walking to the library in the afternoon and. Um, I'm walking across the street, and this girl is on a bicycle, and she's going past me, and she's looking at me real hard, and I'm like in my head, you know, I'm like, you know, why, why is it looking at me? So, so I, I keep going across the street, and then I see her out the corner of my eye, and she's like yelling at me. So I turn, I turn, and I take my headphones up. I'm bumping some of those rock Marciano, and she's like, Frank, Frank, and I'm looking like, huh? So and so uh she says, um, Oh, I thought I thought you were like a friend that I knew and I'm like, Oh, okay. I hear we all look alike <laughs> and then she just look she just looks at me and I'm I'm still staying there so she can kinda like tell that it's like a joke and then she starts busting out laughing. But but you know, I still think that maybe she was like, Oh, yeah, she he is right, these niggas really do look alike around here or something like that, I don't know. So she uh, was white? Yeah, she was white as can be. Oh man! <laughs> but it was perfect. Uh, what about you? What's up? You said that for your peoples. Uh, me, I'm just good. I'm I've been chilling. You know, maintaining, trying to hold everything together. Um, I guess my funny story for the uh, for the week is um, earlier today. Um, I'm with my girl, and we go to. Um, take the kids and everything and go get some snowballs. So um we go to the snowball stand um and while we're waiting there's these other two girls and they're kinda like standing on the stairs um behind my girl and 
one of them says, hmm, that's fake. And the other girl says, yeah, girl. <laughs> Talking about my girl's ass. <laughs> oh, man. And I so didn't even did. keep it, but, you know, my girl, she said that she peeped it, and she was like, she started to just pop it for them in their face. <laughs> she was like, nah, she going to chill because, you know, they weren't being disrespectful or anything about it. They were just having conversation amongst each other. And, right. you know, they were just, you know, saying what they thought. So, you know, she, you know, chilled on them real quick. But I just thought that was interesting. Like, wow. And um, she was like, you know, one of them, you know, she was a little um, on the, like, heavy, sloppy kind of side, and she didn't really have much going on back there, you know, for all her, her troubles in that area. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, other one, she was, you know, kind of skinny, and she didn't have much going on there back, you know, back there either, so... You know, it might have been like a little bit of hate and contempt. And, you know, my girl, she's um, biracial, as you'll find out in a, uh, <laughs> in an upcoming episode, um, will she be a guest? But, um, and she's biracial, and so she was like, you know, maybe they thought that she was white or something like that, and it was just hating. So I was like, mm. that was very interesting, you know. But uh, she she is uh, definitely endowed in that area. <laughs> <laughs> well, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man. Um, besides that, we we went to the Walters Art Museum, took a look at all the Egyptian artifacts and artifacts from other cultures and everything, and you know it was. You know, it's been nice, you know. Can't really complain. That's what's good, man. I have yet to uh, get around to uh, the uh, the museums here in the area, but um, I would like to do it soon. Yeah, hopefully they um. Do they have any good ones that you know of? Um. Well, I know they have the uh. Um. There's an art museum here and it has like a whole bunch of Native American art. That um, I think would be pretty, really cool to look at. And they have a Museum of Natural History, which I'm um, just like gargantuan. Mm. Yeah, so um, I'm kind of like, I'm, but I'm kind of like saving them at the same time. So like, if I'm like really bored and I don't want to do any type of work, I'll just maybe just one day just get up and just go there one day, spend spend a half a day there or something. Yeah, that's a good plan. Yeah. I think uh, museums are definitely an underused resource in our communities, and it's underused by our communities as well. So, you know, I definitely recommend everybody go check out a museum. Hopefully there's some free ones in your area, or if not free, some cheap ones. Because, yeah, we went to the Walters, and it's free. And, you know, I donated my my last dollar <laughs> in my pocket <laughs> you know, to support uh-huh. the cause. Uh, that's what that's what's up. Um, hopefully, with that money, they'll um, do something better with that <clears throat> with the Egyptian exhibit. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, and my girl pointed out, you know, it's like they try to set a mood for every every exhibit, but it's interesting how like you walk into the Egyptian exhibit and it's all dark and scary, 
you know, little kids getting scared and stuff like that. And you walk through, you go to the next room, and then you're in the Roman exhibit, and it's just light and angelic looking, and everything is so bright. And it's like, you know, a lot of black people got to have a dark, ominous type of uh, exhibit, and uh, white people don't. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Um, have you um, been to the uh, to the Met? Um, I probably have when I was re- very young. My father used to take me to, like, all the different museums, so I'm not exactly sure which ones I've been to. I just know I went to the Cloisters. That's the only one I remember the name of, but I haven't been there any time recently. Okay, because um, you know, it's there. Like, I think they, I think they have like the, uh, if not, if not the largest, I know like one, like the largest um, collections of like you know Egyptian artifacts in the world, or something like that. Mm. And um, they have, you know, they have like a lot of you know Greco-Roman um, artifacts too. And they kind of, I guess, they kind of dwarf what they have Egyptian-wise, I think, to me. But um, even, you know, even there, you know, like the, like the setup for, like, the, the Greek and Roman period is, like, really intricate. And it, it, look, it looks really nice compared to the Egyptian one. And, you know, with the Egyptian one, even there, you know, you have certain areas where you have to go with, like, through this dark cave, like your Indiana Jones or some type of crazy shit. But it's not like that with the Roman, with, with like the Greek or Roman part. You know, it's really dark and it's really light. You know, you think Jesus is going to hit you on the shoulder real quick or something like that. So <laughs> That's exactly it's... how it was. <laughs> um, and, you know, not to get too deep into it, but, you know, then we went to the um, to the uh, Islamic part. You know, they had a section that said Islamic, uh, Islamic art. So you go in there and it's nothing Islamic. It's all this Christian art. And when you go in there, it's light as well. And not only that, but if you listen really closely, you can hear this faint music in the background that's not in any of the other exhibits. Hmm. <laughs> like this, like 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 this really faint, um, angelic type of music. And you know, my girl, she was like, "Do you hear that?" And I was like, "Yeah, I hear that." <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. And then they have like all these, um, all these creepy like crucifixes like these these gigantic just bloody looking crucifixes of just Jesus on the cross and just all these pictures of all this all the ways they tortured him and had him walking with the cross and all that other type of stuff and I was like this is really creepy you know compared to the um, Egyptian part but the Egyptian part is the part that they want to light and you know in the dark lighting and you know have everything looking scary and all that yeah, you know, I never, I never noticed the. Um, I mean, well, because well, you, you kind of jogged my memory because now I vaguely remember hearing like the faint music, mm-hmm. um, in the is in the Islamic music um, exhibit. Because um, I think at this point I've been to the waltzes maybe like six times. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, you know, I, I I like it. I think possibly my favorite part is probably um, the uh, the um. The the uh, medieval section, like how they have like the medieval style style stairway and stuff like that. You gotta go through these weird twists and turns to get to like the to like the knight's area and see like his armor and stuff like that. Oh man, yeah, we didn't get to that part, but we're definitely gonna um gonna go back. But um, it reminds me um 
you know, listening to, uh, I know <laughs> we've had our conversations about the uh, Almond Rasquad podcast or whatever. Yeah. But, um, one of the things that the guy says is basically, you know, you have all these free resources and stuff like that. Like, you know, especially like if you're in the Baltimore area, you know, the Baltimore Art Gallery is free. And it's like, if you want to get a glimpse into, you know, it, your history is like, you know, and, you know, someone of the African diaspora, you know, just go there and take a look at the Egyptian section because, you know, Egypt or, you know, ancient Kemet um, is kind of like the confluence of all the African cultures because, you know, culture travels downstream and, you know, that's at the bottom of the Nile. So you have everything from sub-Saharan Africa and then all the tributaries that went into the Nile and, you know, all the people who sailed across Lake Megachad to get there. And so you basically have, like, a mixture of all the different African cultures that already preexisted, all combining right there at that one place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, definitely check that out. And then you get to see the Roman side of it as well, where they kind of, you can kind of see the influence of some of the art, like, that the Romans had. It's just that with the Romans, everything just looks like a big, gigantic orgy <laughs> on top of it. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, man. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know, man. You know, it's just, uh, it's, you know, it's weird. You know, I guess, like, the, the days and times that we're in right now, and, you know, there isn't a lot of money going into the humanities right now. And, you know, I know that me personally, I've been kind of, I've been kind of suffering um, from it, and you know, um, it, 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 it's it's not a cool thing. Um, so hopefully, and I'm pretty sure it will it will soon change eventually. Once they realize that you know technology will kill us eventually, <laughs> <laughs> if they keep if they keep investing too much into it. I mean, yeah, that's a whole other topic. But um, <laughs> yeah, what you just said it kind of reminds me of uh, Elon Musk talking about um. And like other futurists talking about the possibility of uh, artificial intelligence basically becoming smart and like robots basically, you know, taking over the human race as an actual possibility and uh, companies are actually taking heed to that. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, but um, like I said, that's a whole nother, uh, <laughs> whole nother thing. But um, I guess keeping with the technology conversation, um, we were talking about earlier, um, I guess just to get into this topic, um, about the uh, different ways in which we listen to music, you know, mm-hmm. and, like different formats and how they evolve. And, you know, I'm one that they're talking about this a little bit. But um, uh, after I heard them talk about it, it just made me pay attention more and just remember more. And, you know, I realized, you know, I'm listening to music right now primarily on these cheap $5 headphones from 5 Below. And it's getting kind of frustrating because I know I can't hear everything the way it's supposed to be heard. And, you know, if I'm making a beat or something on there and then I take it to the car, you know, I, it really illustrates how what I'm hearing isn't right. And I'm like, man, you know, it didn't used to be like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, I remember you talking about, you know, how you like to listen to tapes and how you used to love the tape hiss. And, um, you know, me personally, I used to hate it, but now I'm, I'm having more of an appreciation for it. 
<laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, man, you know, um, like, I, I, I realized, you know, like, eventually, like, you know, kind of over the years, like, you know, like, even, like, you know, like, the, I guess the variance when it comes, like, to, like, different headphones, even if they are expensive or not, and, like, the different things that you can hear, and, um, you know, when it comes to certain songs, and, you know, since I listen to, like, a lot of, you know, I guess indie rock, you know, some of the stuff is, like, you know, it's mixed down in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And everything is like really just big and loud to a certain extent, so you can't really get you know like the full effect sometimes, even on one certain headphone. So um, like now, what I do, although since you know I'm I'm a pedestrian, um, I got to make sure I have backup headphones all the time. But now, what I do, um, let's say because I have like right now I have these Philips Dynamic Bass headphones or whatever they call, mm-hmm. and I um, I tend like to put those in for like kind of like I guess rockish music and reggae mm-hmm. for the bass because for some for some reason with these headphones I can hear different things when I listen to rock music and them especially like that weird indie shit yeah. and then I have like these other like I guess I think these are um, some other type of headphones and I kind of use that for hip hop because it just kind of like melds and with like I guess how the um, how the drums are mixed down and stuff like that and it just sounds a bit better so I tend to like switch around every so often and um i remember when you were telling me like a while back when um um i was in new york for like um a little over a month and you were telling me like the culture there and like how it kind of reflects how 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 music reflects the culture that is made and so how um you were telling me how you know like the way east coast music is it's kind of made for you to listen to on like you know let's on like, I guess um you know th- um the headphones that that cover your ear, right? While in the south you know you got that like the way it's made it's made for like cars and like big booming systems that go down the street so niggas can hear you. Yeah, and like it took me a while to get used to that because you know when you're listening to it in headphones most headphones they don't have uh, um you know one of the difficulties in making headphones is how to get a good bass response. Because when you actually listen to bass in the headphones, like let's say you have a bass tone, not to get too you know technical with it, but like let's say you have a bass tone that's at like, um, let's say eighty or like a hundred kilohertz or whatever, um, mm-hmm. or eighty hertz. Um, you know the driver in your headphones isn't big enough to be able to reproduce that sound. So what you're actually hearing are the harmonics of that bass. So you're hearing a higher frequency that might be contained in the bass, but you're not actually hearing the bass. So, mm-hmm. like, the type of headphones and the type of way they engineer it, they try to engineer it so that you can get as close to actually hearing that frequency as possible, even though you might not get to it. So, um, but, like, when you're listening to, like, New York hip-hop from the 90s or whatever, you know, the kick drum it's not that deep booming bass and it kind of has like a lot of high to it when you um, think about it. And that's so it'll crack in them headphones. But if you listen to that in the car, that's going to hurt your ears. So you need that, you know, that, that, that deep 808 sub, like how uh, Big Fred always says, my sub. (laughs) Yeah. That's going to vibrate the car. You can listen to it as loud as you want and it's not going to damage your ears. And, um, you know, it, you know the actual sound and the engineering of the mu- uh, of the music is really reflective of the culture that you're in. 
And now it's like, like today I'm in the car with my girl and she's playing some songs off of YouTube through the auxiliary. And I can really hear how, um, I can really hear how this isn't how it's supposed to be heard. Like, you know, when you listen to a song on YouTube, it's being compressed into um, a lower quality format so that it's smaller to fit on your hard drive and it uploads quicker and all of that. But, you know, for them to compress that MP3 or MP4 file to be able to do those things, you sacrifice frequency and sound, you uh, sacrifice bit rate. And then once you sacrifice bit rate, you sacrifice stereo separation. So once you don't have the stereo separation, you have all kind of issues in the sound, like, you know, something that might be on the left speaker sounds more like it's in the center. And then because of that, you might get some phase issues where things start to cancel out. And so, you know, you're just hearing like a garbled mess. And then it might be too compressed to where you can't hear the high and the lows in terms of volume as you would want to. And it just, I don't know, it just kind of made me sad because, you know, we're not supposed to be listening to music like this. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I I feel what you're saying, but, you know, you know, I guess when it comes down to it, you know, there are, there's a small percentage of people who, I guess, are considered audiophiles. <laughs> and so I'm sure they don't even care. That's um, true. So, that's, it, yeah, that's true. But I don't know, at least to me, and maybe, you know, maybe this is just uh, me just, you know, thinking about it too much. But I feel like, I feel like sometimes the difference is so drastic that a lay person can understand and appreciate the difference and will gravitate towards a higher quality sound up to a certain point, you know. Well, we, well, I, I see what you're saying, but it's like, um, you know, when I think of, like, you know, this battle between audiophiles and, I guess, people who don't really care that much, I guess, like, your average consumer, is the fact that, um, you know, you, that, that's, like, just, like, think about, like, mixtapes, and, you know. Right. Um, Gucci Man's Reign was pretty much pretty much fed off of these mixtapes that had horrible quality, but people bumped them like, you know, like Dr. Dre mixed it down. Um, and, you know, it, it really kind of killed me because, I mean, you know, as we, as me and you have talked, you know, over over the years, I think Zaytoven is like a really slept on producer, and he's one of my favorite, favorite Southern producers. Um, and, you know, just hearing certain things that he did with certain beats, it would sound way, way better if, you know, it was mixed down properly, but maybe, I guess, it goes to that whole thing about instant gratification, um, you know, in the in the culture, that, in, in, in the uh, the climate that we are musically nowadays. And then I think also um, maybe the biggest reflection of this can possibly be these, these fucking Dre headphones, mm. to a certain extent, that are that's supposed to make everything sound better. Even though it's not really doing, I mean, it's doing it, but then it's really not doing it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, because the Dre headphones, I mean, the, I think the selling point of the Dre headphones, of course, it's the sound, but at a certain point, it's the fashion and the exclusivity and all of that type of stuff of it. And, you know, when you think about it, the headphone is the last part of the signal chain, you know? So it's like, 
shit in it, you're going to get shit out of it. So, like, mm-hmm. if you're listening to, like, uh, like a like a low-quality, you know, 128, um, you know, whatever, MP3 versus, like, a 320 MP3, you know, the difference is going to be, you know, versus a WAV file or AAC file, you know, the difference is going to be really you know, really big, and you're probably going to hear it more. Like, I think, I think like, in a Dre headphone or more high-quality high headphone, things that sound like shit are even going to sound shittier. But, like, mm. I guess it comes down to, you know, what are you listening to music for? Because, you know, we bumped the hell out of some Max B mixtapes, and those sounded awful. <laughs> yeah, that, that's very true. I mean, but, but sometimes, though, I can't listen to the second Coke wave. Oh, or yeah. Least, um, or, um, especially Lord trying to tell me because I don't, I can't understand what he's saying. I don't know what he's saying that Lord's trying to tell him something. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't even know what he's trying to tell him. And like, you know, it, sounds, yeah. it sounds like whatever he's trying to say that Lord is trying to tell him is so pertinent that he had to make a song about it, but you can't even hear it. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, he could really be giving us a new scripture, but you can't hear it because the quality is so bad. Yeah, man. Uh, and I think um, and I, the other, the only uh, the only like, actual line other than like the chorus, he's, he, he says, I just be torn with that cockroach. <laughs> and I have no idea what cockroach is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And you but, know, um, maybe... And and there's a you know a small possibility that's not even what he said. Oh yeah, see, yeah, that too. But it, it sounds like something Max B would say though. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, like like now since I've gotten like even deeper into reggae, and you know, getting reggae you know from from, from various sources that will remain unnamed. <laughs> um, you know. And although I'm, I'm very appreciative of the people who, you know, who, 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 who rip these things from vinyl or from cassette or wherever they, they, they do it from, they don't really do it right. And I mean, although, I mean, I know that the vinyl is old, probably 20, 30, 40 years old, so that has something to do with it too, but, you know, a lot of, like, a lot of stuff that I get, you know, it's like 120K, oh, man. um, bitrate wise, and, you know, remember, I did, um, you know, that, uh, that B, that, that, that really small B scratch Perry documentary when they showed him, like, um, like on the mixing board, like recording people when he was mixing down. Yeah. The, um, the reggae song. Yeah. And, you know, like the importance in reggae, like they don't give a fuck about anything else, not the vocals, not the guitar licks where they put the reverb on. They just care about the bass and drums. And, it kills me when I have something that's 128k and I can't really hear the bass the way it, it it's supposed to be. And then you know you got to have you know then with that you got to have like those hard hitting drums because it's really it really you know makes it makes the bass even sound better in the song completely. Because even if you get like a like a properly if you get something like uh, let's say I don't know let's say if you get like a uh, a Michael Prophet CD or something like that. Mm-hmm. The vocals may not. The vocals may be may be kind of fucked up, you know. Especially the vocals and like in the guitars because like even if you have like a properly mixed down reggae beat based by I guess classic reggae standards when it comes to mixing down, 
the guitars and the vocals are always going to kind of be out of line because they don't focus on them. They just focus on the drum and the bass. And so when you have that kind of fucking with you and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's not really leveled out right. You just have something that's 128K and all this shit is muddled. It's just, it just sounds like a piece of shit. And so now I'm thinking about... Yeah, and so now I'm thinking about um, like going back and trying to find like CDs. Cause, I mean, a lot of these things you can't get on CD now because I just can't take it. <laughs> yeah, and like now that, you, you know now that you're talking about that, all that, it makes me think like that can be the the thing that makes somebody dislike an entire genre of music. And the example that I have for this is go-go music. Mm. And um, it's like, you know, when they play go-go music on the radio, you know, on the D.C. stations or whatever, um, it sounds terrible. Like, it's all live performances that aren't mic'd up properly and are just recorded just awful. And then they put them on the radio and then they have to do edits on them. So they're, you know, doing the regular reverse edits and it just sounds really bad. And if you don't, like, if you don't know how it's supposed to sound or if you've never experienced it live, it's just going to sound like a bunch of shit to you. But, mm-hmm. you know, I've had people who, you know, said that they hate go-go music. You know, of course, people from Baltimore hate go-go music. <laughs> but then, like, when you actually take them to a go-go spot in D.C. and they experience it live, they're like, oh, okay, this is actually dope. <laughs> so, I don't know, I guess maybe... Maybe the degradation in sound quality is um, bringing more attention back to the live performances aspect of um, of music. I don't know, but, you know, not everybody has access to that. So, I don't know, the mix downs are, are, are very important when it comes to certain types of music. Yeah, that, yeah that's true. I mean, like, um, you know, it kind of reminds me, like, um, of the Ghostface interview from One One Up, and he, like, kind of goes on, like, on, on a rant. Since, you know, at that time, he came out with the Woo Block album with, uh, with Sheik. Oh, yeah. And, you know what I'm saying? You know, it really didn't, like, just mix that shit down right, and that shit doesn't bump, like, the way, you know, Sheik shit does or whatever like that. Yeah. But the thing is about that is, like, when he was saying that, I was questioning the sound engineer, because there's things that you can do to, um even it out or level it out, you know? Like, you can EQ them joints or compress them a certain type of way so that they'll be more equal next to each other. So I don't know yeah. if it's laziness or lack of knowledge or what, but, you know, well, I mean, you know, those early Wu-Tang joints, they did, I don't know, it's because, I, like, at the same time, there's a balance to it, too, because... You know, sometimes if it doesn't sound that good, it adds to the aesthetic of the record. So, like, when you listen to a Wu-Tang record, especially, like, 36 Chambers, it sounds that way, and it fits with everything. So it puts you back in that zone. Yeah, but um, if I if I recall properly, I believe even RZA kind of oversaw, like, the internet, like, the, um, the mastering of it, too, mm. I think. Which I'm sure, you know, yeah, I'm sure it was... I, I can only imagine how, how interesting that was, but um, I know, I know it wasn't Bob Power. I, I think he he didn't, he didn't mix down through. He I think Bob Power mixed down Wu Tang Forever. I think. But then and, I mean, you, I guess, and like Wu Tang Forever, that just sounds like we got some money now. 
I mean, it does, but then it still sounded kind of fuck, like um like like reunited. Mm-hmm. The the vocal like pretty much like the vocals weren't really mixed down properly on any of those songs for the most part to me. But the beats, right. yeah, beats sound a lot more polished. Oh yeah, they, yeah, they do. And then, then I'm the thinking, W, it sound like they tried to make it sound more grimier on purpose. Yeah, but then it really didn't work out that way. Man, I like that. I mean, I was, I was, man, if I was listening to the W uh, the other day. <laughs> mm. I guess going back to the how you like to listen to music, you know, um, I um, I ordered something on Amazon and I got tricked into a uh, of a, a, a month long trial of uh, Amazon Prime again. So I was like, you know, let me trial Amazon Prime music. And I went back and listened to things. I was like, you know, comparing Amazon Prime music to. Uh, you know, Spotify, and, um, you know, sound quality-wise, of course, it's the same, but the selection is um, definitely a lot more lo- uh, more lacking. Mm-hmm. And um, it made me think about going to Tidal and trying that out, the, um, you know, Jay-Z service or whatever. And, you know, they both having, you know, CD-quality music for premium subscribers. So, you know, I wonder what difference that's going to make. Um, you know, in the in the uh, grand scheme of things, I I think there's a movement to educate the general population on um, actual sound quality and stuff like that. But I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know either, man. Like, yeah, I I still have like because you know, um, right? I technically, well, I do. I have Amazon Prime, but. I don't really, I don't use Amazon Prime like the video thing, or nor am I, am I really interested in using the streaming service, mm. especially the streaming service because you know we we had a conversation about how I feel about streaming and it's just I don't know certain things are becoming too much for me. Although I use Google Play pretty much like all the time, but it's still like you know the mu- it's, it's based on the music of uh, the music that I upload to it. Yeah. And I, it's something about I I, I just don't I don't want to give away me not being able to say yeah I own the music that I listen to. Yeah, I feel you. I don't know. It's like I think after numerous hard drive crashes, I'm just like <laughs> I said I don't own this anyway because this hard drive is going to crash eventually. And for me to back it up and maintain a whole collection, you know, that's something for a project when I'm a little bit older. <laughs> Well, knock on wood, I'm still maintaining mine. I think I'm up close to like twenty, thirty thousand songs at this point. Mm. And you know, it's. I mean, it, it's a job. You know, file management is a bitch. I, I still gotta really um, work that out. I've been working on it for like three, four years at this point. But um, I don't know, man. I mean, and see, I think that's another reason why I really want to get back to the set so I can say yeah, I do own it, but. I don't really want to have that clutter around. Yeah, it has to be, I don't know, it has to be a better way. I think, um, yeah, I guess I guess the best way for right now, I guess, would just be to record the cassettes, you know, directly into the computer at the highest possible quality and then burn it to a DVD <laughs> oh, <laughs> or man. something. I mean, you know, they say, you know, the way that you really, you know, are supposed to keep your music um, or, you know, just your files in general is to uh, 
you know, burn it to a DVD and keep it in an airtight safe. Actually, have two of them, two copies, and keep them in airtight safes. And then, you know, to really get deep into it, you have these airtight safes in two different parts of the world or two different parts of the country, you know, that have different climates and things like that. So, like, if an earthquake or a disaster hits one place, it still exists in another. Hmm. That, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but um, but see, this is this is what I was thinking about doing. Like I was thinking about um, because well, since I'm here, you know, I'm trying to like find ways to kind of like decorate my living my living space. Um, because like right now, like on my shelf, you know, I have I have books and stuff. I have like a built-in like bookshelf. And um, matter of fact, did I ever see any pictures of my place? No, you didn't. Oh uh, yeah, right. yeah, uh, yeah. I'll do that. Um, you know, so right now I just kind of have like um, you know, pipes, pipes like laying around. I actually I don't even have all my fucking pipes here. But now I'm thinking about like you know, what's like the one thing I can do so like when people come over, other than whiskey and other libation, like what else can I say that really represents me? <laughs> and I'm like. Well, cassettes, you know, they're still pretty cheap. And, you know, just maybe having certain cassettes, you know, just kind of like, you know, like standing up. It can kind of like represent like what I'm about. Mm. To a certain extent. So I'm thinking I'm thinking about getting like different, you know, different ones, you know, like. um, And also, like, I still, I'm thinking that certain ones that, that are cheap, I can, I can see them rising in price after, you know, after a while. Cassettes, certain cassettes start to like break and. People realize that they only make like you know 500 copies of a certain cassette left yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, but actually right now also um, there's this um this one um, indie rock slash electronic group that I'm kind of I'm kind of into called Part Time, and they have. Um, they have this one album that only came out. Um, they, they only came out on vinyl, and they only, they only pressed up, I think, like a thousand copies. Mm. But no one really knows who they, who, like, who they really are, and they, and they, they're still like available. So I want to buy one, but the, but the issue is though, you know, I don't have any anywhere like to, to play it on. But I do see if they have like these USB things, and like it's like um. Some type of weird mechanism where you like you you like you put like the vinyl inside of like this little compartment or something like that, and it doesn't have a base though, but like but like the vinyl it hold it like it it, it holds onto the vinyl and just like it spins the vinyl around, plays it, and just up, uploads it to your computer or something like that. Yeah, I think I've, I've yeah I think I've heard of that like a USB record player type of thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I made like I know like on Amazon it goes for like forty dollars right now, so I'm thinking about getting that, but. I don't want to, I don't want the, I don't, I just don't want the clutter, but I'm afraid that if I don't get this LP, I may not be able to get this album. I mean, and I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll probably end up coming out with it sooner or later on like CD or like putting it on digitally, but, um, I want it now. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I know it might be a collector's item in the future. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just thinking, I mean, it's not, it's like $20, but it was fifteen ninety nine, so it's not like a lot of money, but. I don't know. Uh, you know, like, the the issues people go through with that music, man, I tell you. Yeah, because then, you know, with everything that you're saying, even with that, there's still the sacrificing of sound quality going from analog to digital. Okay, well, this is what I'm, what I'm going to do. Another point, too, 
like getting like a like you know like like a let's say like a little Walkman cassette thing, oh, and yeah. getting uh, like little auxiliary cord and just hooking it up to to my to my Bose speaker. Mm. And I know I'm sacrificing, you know, like the real tape quality, but I, can, I think I still get that. I still get a certain amount of tape pistol to a certain extent. But but, I mean, would, but would it be deeper, though, like the sound, do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think it would be deeper and warmer um, just because, you know, with tape or with anything analog, um, you have more room. So, like, you know, they were going past the red, and instead of it distorting, it gives it like a warmer sound to it. So, um yeah, I definitely think that you'll get like a better sound out of it, um, a deeper, more rich sound. Only thing, you know, I got so scared of playing tapes is because um, you know, they started popping on me. So like I've been meaning to get like a good high quality tape player and, you know, keeping it clean. Like once I realized I had to, you know, clean off my tape heads with alcohol and Q tips and all that, you know, my tapes started to um not pop as much so that was a good thing so i don't know like i'm in the process of um thinking about the things that i'm going to need um studio wise and you know just studio wise and home music setup wise um and also portable studio wise and one of them is definitely going to be like one of those good old school tape decks clean and making sure that joint is going to stay bumping but like one thing i never knew is that you know a tape has a lifespan of 20 years or so and you know that whole thing they were talking about on that one up about how you have to cook it yeah and like so now i'm just like damn like i'm not uh, you know i i have tapes that are probably over a decade old <laughs> and you know are they going to need cooking Well, I, I think I think the main thing is, are you are, are you willing to cook them? <laughs> I mean, if that's the only option that I have, then you know that's what I'm gonna have to do. But I don't know. I have um, I think I have I have Nas's I Am on tape, and I think I still have a tape booklet with it, and I have uh, Big L's flamboyant single on tape. Do you um do you still have sticky fingers or, or did that pop? Uh, that was a bootleg that I made. I didn't have the original of that. Okay. Actually, I might have taped over it at some point in my high school years. Um, I think that was one of those joints where somebody had the CD, and um, I put two boom boxes next to each other and wrapped them in blankets and played one real loud and then hit record on the other. <laughs> mm. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I should be real serious about mine. <laughs> like, you know, these kids these days, you know, I just sound like, you know, uh, old man wisdom. <laughs> but, you know, they have it real easy with this downloading and stuff. You know, for me to get a, a, an album that I didn't want to pay for because I didn't have the money, I had to borrow it from somebody. I had to put two boom boxes to you know, in front of each other play one really loud, wrap it in blankets so that my mother wouldn't yell at me and just hit record on the other one. 
Yeah. So that's how yeah, music. And, you know, I'm just remembering, I don't know if you remember um, Real Audio Files. Mm-hmm. And, like, how terrible they sounded. Yeah, I think they're still around, aren't they? I don't know, because, you know, the whole purpose of them, I guess, was to download music when you had a 56K um, internet connection. So, like, a lot of my music coming up was on uh, real audio files, and they sounded so bad. And I used to have to get the special program to convert them to MP3. <laughs> no, no. Burn them to a CD yeah. or something. The, um, now, when, 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 when you downloaded... Um when you downloaded Marshall Mathers, um, wasn't that a real audio file? Um, tell me the Marshall Mathers LP. What's that? You talking about the Marshall Mathers LP? Yeah. That I bought actually. I bought that for like twenty something dollars at Barnes and Noble, and I remember just like, man, this is expensive, but I have to have it. But no, no. no. No, no. Before that, no, because I'm telling you, like it, it was one point you 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 downloaded you downloaded it. <laughs> oh man, maybe I did. I probably had like most of the tracks because like back then you remember. Sometimes you didn't know all the tracks that were on the album, but you would just download everything and just hope that you had the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yo, know, because like, because right, I I remember one time. Um, you know, it was you know it was around time you know staying and everything like that and like um I think I, I um, we, we talked over the phone like the day before I was supposed to come over there and spend the weekend mm-hmm. and you were like yeah I'm I'm downloading the album right now or I'm start like tonight it's some shit you said and I came and you said yeah I got five songs right now <laughs> and then well you were updating me periodically about you know when you, when you find out all the songs and then when you finally got the CD you you realized you were mixing, missing like four four songs on it or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, man, that's how it used to be. Like, I used to have to set the computer to download in the morning off of those, you know, those free AOL CDs. So yeah, I, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> so I would set it to download in the morning, and by the time I got home, I would just have to hope that I would have the whole album and that nothing cut off or was disabled or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, man, it used to be the worst. Yeah, and it was like, a lot of times, you know, I would spend a lot of time trying to download these joints, and then they wouldn't come through all the way. And, and that would be real disappointing. And it's it's crazy now, like, you know, we had, like, you know, the one thing I appreciate about Spotify is that, you know, all these albums that I wanted to listen to when I was younger and never had a chance, now I can I can go back to and, you know, really see what was going on. Mm. Yeah, and and it's convenient, you know, like, all of this, you know, downloading off a zippy share and everything, like, that's, that's a little time consuming sometimes, and it, it takes time, and it takes hard drive space, so, and then, you know, there's the whole thing of, you know, what if your internet service provider, uh, flags you as somebody who's downloading illegal content and you have to deal with that, you know, whatever repercussions come with, come with that. So well, let's, let's, not, let's not talk about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, statistically, I don't think the chances are that great, but, you know, yeah, I feel you. Well, I, um, well, I, well, remember, remember the, uh, the, 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 um, the tech nine story I told you about. 
Come on, tell me that again. Um, I was listening to the Combat Jack show, and then um, he was talking about you know his albums. And then I remember um, when you introduced me to Tech Nine years ago, when you know um, the power and numbers, numbers of numbers and power. Which one was it called? Uh, Absolute Power. Yeah, Absolute Power. Yeah, when I think when you got it, it was it was like what three years old at that point, two years old or something like that. And I'm not sure I remember, how old it was. I, I, it might have been relatively new, but it, it wasn't that new. <laughs> yeah, and I remember like I think it was like um, you know what I'm talking about. The one where he's he's like he's rapping like really really fast, but it's like catchy at the same time. It's like track. It's like number two or number seven or something like that. And I just, I just remember that song, and so I said, oh, man, i get that album real quick. And so I'm trying to get it, and next thing I know, the, like, it, on the end, it just cuts off. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I said, so, you know, I go downstairs, I fix it, and I'm like, all right, let me do this again. Cuts off again, do it the third time, it cuts off again, and it's just off for, like, some, like two good hours. I couldn't do anything. And then I learned my lesson about down trying to do anything with Techno, and, and to this day I don't, I don't mess with I don't mess with him or, or other artists that have really large followings like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a scary thing sometimes. I've been thinking about investing in uh, like a monthly um, subscription to something like Hide My Ass or like one oh, of the yeah. uh, VPN servers or whatever that redirect your traffic. Man, we need to get fucking serve me. Man, we need to go and get some servers, some servers in Russia, or Russia or some shit like that. Yeah, man. Because <laughs> you know, shit is definitely real. Um, but yeah, it's 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 funny because like speaking to Tech Nine, and you know, like back in those days when I bought that album, it's like all you had, all you had to to um. Because this was even before I had the internet. Like, all you had to know or to, you know, base your purchase off of was, like, an album cover or, like, special features with the CD or, like, a Source magazine review or, like, some word of mouth. So I remember when I bought that CD, it was between either Tech 9 I was going to get or I was going to get Tony Touch. And I was like... I was weighing my options. I was like, well, Tony Touch, it's like a mixtape album, so I can get all these different artists and songs. I'm not just stuck on one dude. But then with Tech 9 you know, my homeboy told me, like, Tech 9 is dope. You need to get this. And it had, like, a couple more songs, and it had a DVD with it. So I was like, this is more bang for my buck. You know, the CD cover looks crazy, so I'm going to just buy this. So that's how mm. I ended up with Tech Nine, <laughs> and, and it was Tony. And you know, being in middle school or high school, you know, that's a huge purchase for me. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, and that was okay. So that's that's absolute power. And that was a so Tony Touch wise at least in his career. That was what piece, the peacemaker, the second peacemaker, right around that time. Uh was it? I'm not sure because I bought the second peacemaker. So I don't think it was that. It must have been something else. Because whatever a Tony Touch album it, uh, that it was I was going to get, I don't think I ever got it. Okay. But I did I, eventually end up buying a Tony Touch album. Man, but I, I, I remember like back in the day, you did like some, you did some magical shit where you when you got 
you got um you bought Supreme clientele and um and and Capadonna's the yin the yin and the yang, but like within a very short span. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh man, and that cat was doing yin and the yang, man. It's like when I bought an album back then, I had to like force myself to like that shit. Like, I just had to like like it because I spent my money on it. And you know, that cat Madonna, it was like it had a couple of joints on there, but it wasn't. It like it wasn't that good. I just bought it because, I mean, the cover was so dope. Like I couldn't not buy it. It was like the yin yang symbol, but instead of the circles, it had the Wu Tang logos. I mean, yeah, but I mean, but Supermodel had it, you know. Supermodel was cool. Yeah, yeah, Supermodel was cool. But then, like, it was like these these uh, Jermaine Dupri type of tracks. It was basically like (laughs) the album didn't match the uh, the uh, cover. Like when you have a yin yang symbol with uh wu tang symbols for the uh dots instead of the circles like you're expecting like some shit like master killer's first album or something you know man that's yeah, like real wu tang stuff <laughs> man yeah but um you know i was thinking about like a topic maybe for later down later on down the line but you kind of you kind of brought it up you know i was thinking about Talking about like the most random features ever in hip hop, and I think um, the the uh, the Jermaine Dupri and Brett joint with Capadonna was like so random, especially <laughs> when it's the JD beat and he goes, "It's a Wu Tang so so death thing." <laughs> <laughs> like, how did that even happen? But yeah. I mean, Capadonna just pops up in the most random places, and it's funny because sometimes like you'll run into just some random person who has like. Some some type of connection to music, and like they would just have some type of Capadonna story. And like, only thing I can think of is when he said, you know, when you in the garbage, check for a nigga. Like, yeah, man. Wherever you at, just check for that nigga, cause he gonna be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then um, I was thinking about um. The uh the the um the Yellow Wolf album was with um the joint that had the chat and Eminem on it. Oh man, hell yeah, that was that was mad random. That was like one of the only two or three songs I liked on that album too. Yeah, it was, it was ill, and Eminem mentioned the chat as if they were actually in the studio together or something like that. Maybe they were, but yeah, and um, then, um I, I think another random freestyle. I mean, not freestyle, but feature was when um. When uh, Kanye had uh, Paul Wall on Drive Slow. Oh, I forgot. I forgot about that. That was so big for that time. <laughs> Maybe Paul Wall was the shit. Yeah, it was like Kanye. It was like, it, like it was really a melding of the of the worlds, you know. And you know, if you think about it, it was kind of like a precursor to um to like graduation when he got you know DJ Toon. To uh, overlook pretty much the whole thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, mm. now I think about it, Kanye and people who are Kanye related or Kanye related songs. You know, I think one of his hallmarks in his early career was that he got these random people together because, um, you know, he did the two words joint with Most Def and Freeway, and that was revolutionary for his time. And mm-hmm. then, um. Remember the uh, Get By remix of uh, Talib Kweli? 
Yeah. And, uh, he had uh, Jay-Z and Busta Rhymes on there. Oh, that's right, he did. And then... Um, and, and and Jay-Z does some random features, too, like... um. Uh, remember the Punjabi MC joint? Yeah. And it's crazy because uh, that joint was mad old. Even my girl, she was like, she heard that joint like years and years before it got big over here once Jay-Z got on it. And then um, I can never forget Jay-Z on that Dead Press song. Oh, yeah. But um, I remember, like, I think it was on a one-up or it had to be a one-up and they were talking about that. That was like the thing about Jay-Z genius during that time that he just got on anything. And how he got on the uh, the um, the uh, the the juvenile remix, the Han joint. Yeah, which I vaguely remember actually. Um, that was big. Yeah, and um, uh, what's the difference? Damn song. Oh yeah, and you know another random feature I've been I've been thinking about. Although if you think about like the time, the time of it. It really isn't that random. You you can kind of get it, but um, the Prodigy and um, BG joint, uh, the um, Young Black Entrepreneurs. Oh yeah, man, that was just crazy. It was like I remember, man, I bought that album and I'm like, why is BG on here? But that joint was rocking. Like I liked that whole album and that song. You know, that definitely stood out to me at that time. See, that's that's the thing. Like, I mean, like, um, Asian I see. I, I think that's a classic album and. I think that like that song is like it's a pretty powerful song. Like you know, even like with, with BGE, with uh, <laughs> uh, man, my Baltimore showing. I was going to say BGE. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I mean, what BG was talking, what BG was talking about, you know, stack your get your first mill, stack your first mill, and live off the interest and stuff like that. Yeah, and, like you know, I remember back in those days, I had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah, and you know he and and Baby was in the video too, and you know BG was all up in it. And I think um, I want to say Turk, but I don't think Turk was in the video. But you know, but it kind of makes sense because you know at that time you know Mob Deep was Mob Deep, and they you know pretty much whenever they came out, they knew they were at least going gold for the most part. Yeah, yeah, that H and I C man, that was a. I mean, I break bread, ribs, hundred dollar bills. Chillin' Bugatti's, like other four wheels, like write a book full of medicine and generate mills, tour the album only for more set. Like I could just <laughs> go on and on, but um, yeah. I guess that goes like that. I think that was that the song that really got Alchemist popping. Uh, what, uh, uh, what was the song called? Um, damn, I just spit like some of the verse. I can't remember the name of the song. Um. Keep it thorough. Yeah, you know, I, I really, I, um, I really don't understand how Alchemist became who he is because it, it seems like he never really had that one song that that made that made him who he who he was. And yeah, if you kind of think about it, it because um, they had, you know, he, they had he was, you know, he was with Prodigy. I think on Prodigy's second time on the Wind Up show, and they were kind of asking him, and what he was talking about, it still didn't make sense. <laughs> To a certain extent, because I mean, you think I guess you can say the maybe the, the Jadakiss joint kind of gave him like maybe like a little bit of commercial appeal, but it seemed like he really didn't get like really like relevant until America's America's um nightmare to a certain extent. Yeah, but he was with um 
Executioners. Was he like soul assassins, like back in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, and um, he was with, he, he was affiliated with executioners, right? I don't know if he was affiliated with them, but I know he's affiliated with uh, Dilated Peoples, and he did that um, Dilated Peoples' first single, "The Platform." I, I, I think he produced that. Oh yeah, that's why. I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean Dilated Peoples. And now I just pulled up his um, I just pulled up his Wikipedia. He was with. A hip hop duo in 1991 called the Hooligans. That's right. It was now. Now, how how old is he though? That's the thing. Um, according to this, he was born October 25th, 1977. So that makes him 37. Dang, you're that old, huh? Yeah. So I'm just looking through real quick. DJ Mugs. He produced two songs on the Murder Music album. And yeah, he's on drinks with Nas, Fat Joe, Jadakiss, Ghostface, Killer, Snoop Dogg. He's remixed joints for Lincoln Park. Had that whole beef with Raskas. Oh, Rampin' right. Photo probably helped him out a lot. Oh, that's right. And, and um, I know that him and um, uh, him and Old Noah's Grant Gang Green were commissioned to do um, a thing for the new get for the new Grand Theft Auto release. Mm. Um, so I know. I mean, you see, I'm, I'm really, I'm kind of happy to see Old Noah actually, you know, get some shine. <laughs> because like for so many years, you know, he was just always seen as Mad Lib's brother, and sometimes he'll be like spotlighted and Double XL were coming out with like I think, but that Doctor Old Noah's experiment shit that he was coming out with. Oh yeah. And essentially, even though it will be maybe like a four to five paragraph blurb on him, it will pretty much just be, yes, Madler's brother. You know, maybe you should check it out because he's Madler's brother, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I was always just impressed by his name. Like, that's a dope-ass name. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, well, I mean, but, you know, it's interesting, though, because you can you can see, you know, I guess the... um the similarity between, you know, when it comes to him and Mad Lib, but he does have his own style, though. Yeah, and it's... At the same time. And they don't... That, uh, they don't really work together much, do they? Um, no. I, I listened to some, to some interviews with Oh No, and actually, he, he has a, uh, a Red Bull Music Academy, too. Mm. Um, and he said something... They don't really, like, see each other all like that or something like that. Mm. But, but, they're, but they're, like, really close. That's interesting. I remember, um, it's interesting, like, when you see family members in, in music, but they kind of, like, doing their own thing and don't really interact. <laughs> like, um, you see, think of, uh, Tyler, the Creator, and, uh, Earl Sweatshirt. And, um, I did see something recently about how one of them said, you know, they're not that close. I think you were saying something about that, too. Um, how they said they're not that close, and, you know, they both have albums that kind of just came out, and neither one is on either's album. But their voices just sound so similar to me. <laughs> their rap styles are so different. I mean, well, I'm, well, I'm I'm thinking that they aren't close now because if you like look at like like the very first all future all future joints, and like in that one music video mm -hmm. um, that came out like kind of like right before Yonkers to a certain extent. And it's like it's like just all of them there, and it was before Earl left to go to boarding school, or whatever like that, and they were all together. And then even if you listen to Earl Sweatshirt's very first album, Earl, 
you know, Tyler the Creator, he makes all the beats and he's on the intro. And and I think maybe although I don't know anything I don't know anything about the like the beef that, that or whatever's going on between them but maybe Tyler is kind of feeling some sort of way because you know he if you think about it it's Tyler and the rest of the All Future niggas that kind of kept his name alive and he kept saying Free Earl and then he's personally doing his own thing like separate. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, because, you know, I mean, because, I mean, but if you think about it, though, and I, I think, yeah, me and you, we had a conversation, like, off air about it, um, you know, if you think about it, they all knew that, I guess, out of all of them, Earl was, like, the best rapper, but, I mean, if you listen to the album, it's, I mean, it's, it's actually is one, like, one of the best albums, you know, I guess, amongst all of, like, the early, all the future joints that were, like, free, but... I don't think it was enough to really, you know, really hold and, like, create some type of weird legend where people would have been, like, waiting for Earl, even if, um, regardless if, um, you know, Tyler and them would, would kept saying his name the way they were. Yeah, it was, I guess it was that Tony Ayo type of thing. Well, see, I think Tony Ayo was different because he, because I think, you know, because there, there was already, like, a weird gene that, you know, following anyway, so people knew who he was. That's true, yeah. Um, I think um, it's weird um, because I was listening to that um, interview with Haji Beats, and he was talking about how, you know, how basically they're all older now. And, like, all that crazy shit that they did, you know, it was them to an extent, but it wasn't necessarily, like, all the way them. But... It's like, oh shit, we can do this crazy shit and make money off of it. Let's just keep going. And now they're kind of all older and all kind of doing their own separate things. And you know, he might not speak to you know, you know, certain ones for like a lot of months to a year or so, and all that type of thing. I just found that interesting, and like how you know, now that they're older and getting more into their careers, they're kind of more focused on more serious type of music. So it made me want to listen to Haji Beats new project more because he was always kind of like my favorite one out of all of them. Mm. I don't know. I really never paid attention to none of these niggas except for like Earl and Tyler the Creator. <laughs> I think um, Haji did say he's working on some shit with Alchemist. Or, like he's supposed to be doing some shit with him because um, um, like I was saying he said that he went to Alchemist's house a couple times where Alchemist wasn't there, or, like, his studio, whatever, Alchemist wasn't there, and how, you know, when you're dealing with Alchemist, you don't really set up studio time. You just kind of come through and show up. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, like, you know, it's like, it's been, like, a trend, you know, listening to, like, the various podcasts with people on it, you know, um, and how I, it, it was one rapper who kind of said that, you know, like, Alchemist's house, you know, kind of, like, is like like the like the place where like all the hip hop people congregate now who are who are like in l a and you know now a lot of like the a lot of the rappers are moving to l a now i guess because that that's the place to be especially you know with this rise in west coast music yeah and how it's taken over um and so you know you have um yeah we have you have so like so much so so much stuff coming out of alchemist studio between, you know, Rock Marciano, who records there, um, Action Bronson, um, Currency, who, I mean, I think you can probably argue that he was maybe, like, the first, um, it, well, I guess I guess to, to a certain extent, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about, 
internet slash blog rappers who have who do have these followings, but no one really knows them outside of you know, yeah, um, that type of sphere. And maybe you can kind of say that currency was kind of like the the forefront that album that kind of led to Alchemist becoming this person that everyone kind of like you know revolves around. Um, kind of like um, Alchemist is kind of like to me what what Static Selector was trying to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, but I, I don't know. Maybe I, I kind of, I, I always saw it coming. I mean, it's, I mean, he was just always around the right people. I mean, if you're if you're around Prodigy and Havoc, and these type of people, they would they they gravitate toward them anyway. And he, yeah. you know, I mean, this is, I, I felt as though it was bound to happen. Um, and his um his Shady Records affiliation doesn't hurt. <laughs> oh, you see, and actually, I forgot about that until um he he mentioned it on the one up um podcast. Yeah. Um. But then I guess he, but he still does try to like you know to talk mob deep, and we were supposed to see him twice, but he never showed up. <laughs> um, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, but then, but you know, and you know, I, I would say right now, like the two top, I guess really, I guess underground producers, you know, is is Mad or Mad Lib and Alchemist, and they're both from L.A. Yeah, I mean. I wouldn't necessarily say Mad Lib, but I do have a list of other people when they are from L.A. Like Flying Lotus and, you know, Thundercat. Basically all them people who worked on Kendrick's album. <laughs> well, see, well, yeah, I don't really count them because they aren't, they aren't exactly like hip-hop. Yeah. But like, and, you know, I mean, because even think Mad Lib has taken Jay Dilla's spot. So whenever he dies, it's going to be the same thing with him, too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, 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 um, you know, that, uh, that, that, that mad villain thing and, you know, the whole affiliation with MF Doom doesn't, doesn't hurt either. Yeah, and then you have the whole Quasimodo aspect. Yeah, which, yeah, which brings forth a whole different type of weird-ass audience and then, you know, what he's done for most deaf, um, most deaf and, um, and Erica Badu. Yeah. Yeah, so... And didn't he work with Kanye or something? Um, I'm not... Uh, I think I think he did. I'm not sure if he came out, though. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, because, um... Have you... Did you ever read that article about the creation of the Mad Villain album on... I think it's Pitchfork? Or Com- I think it's Complex. Nah, I didn't. It's, it's like this really long article about, like, you know, like, how the, how Mad... How MFB and Mad Love even met, and... What Peanut Butter was going through and how Stone's Throw was like about to close, like fold and stuff like that. And then they talk about, um, like this, this occurrence where like, um, Kanye comes like, like to see him mm. after like Mad Villain comes out or whatever like that. And he's trying to get some beats from him, like Mad Lib and so it was some crazy shit, but then Mad Lib gave him like a whole bunch of beats and I don't think he never used. came back out with um with his last album Born Like This and he had um Ballskin and um when Kanye had his blog he uh, posted Ballskin on there. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot all about that Kanye blog, man. <laughs> yeah, that was a classic blog. That blog is um what jumped off Lil B. 
Oh, really? Uh, kind of gave him his cosign because um, I think I think Kanye posted at one time super something like that. Well, with that and think about Azalea Banks. Mm. Although I think by that time it was, the, the blog was done, but he just like tweeted it or something like that. Yeah. 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 Oh. <laughs> yeah, I have yet to listen to her album. I need to work on that. crime in the music right now like um um i heard uh kanye we- uh, uh kanye west record uh all day on the radio earlier have you heard that yet um actually i did i did hear i heard like the like the live version of it when he performed it on some award show or something like that oh what do you think of it i was surprised i mean because it's, it's it features paul mccartney but i'm assuming that paul mccartney did um production on it I'm not sure because it's featuring Paul McCartney and it's featuring um, Alan Kingdom, I think, mm-hmm. who was some new dude who he signed. And I saw some article like going into the history of Alan Kingdom that I haven't um, had a chance to look at yet. But um, somebody from Good Music said that Good Music season is approaching, so I imagine we're going to get a slew of uh, Good Music related things. Um, maybe Sahara Prince will get his shine. But um, there's a leaked version of All Day with a Kendrick Lamar verse on it. Um, yeah. That's come out. And because, you know, he's credited on the song. So people are wondering. It's like a rough version. So people are wondering if that's going to be like the remix or whatever. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. I did hear it briefly. And um, I thought it was pretty cool. It wasn't like one of those uh, Naki Rocha Floor Kendrick performances. But, you know, it was cool and it fit the song. Now, I, now what you told me that, like, certain lines Kanye uses for his beat, for, for his verse? That's what I read. But then when I heard it, I didn't really hear it. But I, but I got to listen to it again. But that whole thing just made me think, um, you know, listening to King Kunta when he's, like, going in on ghostwriters and stuff like that. Or, like, you know, rap with a ghostwriter? What the fuck happened? Y'all sharing bars like you got the bottom bunk in the two-man cell. Like, um, when you said that, you know, a lot of people were saying that that was a diss to Kanye some type of way. So. Hmm. Well, I mean, apparently it it, uh, it, it, it works for Kanye, so I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It, it's definitely a uh, weird climate in music right now. <laughs> well, see, well, it, you know, it's a it's a weird, and I, I think this is like something that um, I think I mentioned. I want I was I wanted to speak on in the previous episode about, I guess this this weird renaissance, <clears throat> excuse me, in hip hop music, mm. and that kind of this kind of like you know like a culmination of, um. The solidification of blogs since they've been around for quite a, for quite a while now, mm-hmm. and they're pretty much solidified in the culture. And now we have the emergence of the, the golden age of these podcasts that kind of coincide, and we get like these different perspectives from these different rappers. You know, so so like right now we have like a mixture of like the history the history that's coming from these podcasts and different interpretations on music. While at the same time, we still have the blogs that are posting up this, this, um, all this, all the new music that's coming out. And like how you said earlier, before we got on, um, we started recording about 
you know, a lot of the um, the older rappers coming out now from the 2000s or whatever um, and rapping over older beats, classic beats. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, like, like, it's a weird resurgence. I'm kind of interested to see, because you know, like, how um, how there's certain blog rappers and how they, you know, rappers got started the blogs. I'm wondering if anybody's going to pop off a podcast, but I guess that's, you know, to be seen. But yeah, going back to the um, the uh, mixtape rappers or rappers who were kind of popping in that mixtape era, coming back out over you know older beats than them, I think it's uh, you know it's pretty cool. Like Fabulous is really killing it right now. I think he's up to like number seven or whatever on his uh, freestyle series with DJ Clue. And like I was saying earlier, it just takes me back to that time when. You know, the new Clue tape would come out and just those legendary drops that DJ Clue, Desert Storm, like, he's doing all of that. Shout out to Queen, shout out to Brooklyn. And it has the same type of delay effect on his voice. And Yeah, and I noticed then, that. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, the way that Fabulous is rapping on them beats, he's rapping on beats that came out before he was out. So it's like, you know, you could... You wouldn't necessarily even know that this is coming out in 2015. And, you know, I guess me being an old head now, <laughs> um, you know, when I hear it, it's just like, oh, man, you know, everything is back to normal now. <laughs> mm. But, um, you know, I guess people are hopping on the trend because now Jadakiss dropped two with DJ Envy. Um, and I guess that's in the morning because uh, I think Fabulous, he's calling his series something like Friday night something. So I guess DJ Envy's doing his Friday morning thing. I guess it's going to be with Jada Kiss. Okay, and, yeah, because um, Friday night freestyles. Yeah, Friday night freestyles, yeah. So, um, yeah, DJ Envy, he dropped two Jada Kiss joints Friday morning. Um, and then um, Tony Ayo did a joint on an old beat. Lloyd Banks did like two or three. Um, Pat Poose did one. And you know, these are all these early 2000s to mid 2000s mixtape rappers who are coming out and doing this now. So it seems like the new wave and I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Yeah, you, you know, like out of, out of that whole bunch though, I mean, Jake Kiss to me, he didn't really, I know really, I know, I know really counted him is like a mixtape rapper because, I mean, in my head, if you're like a mixtape rapper, you have like a long, long string of mixtapes you come out with, and he really didn't have that. Like, true. He he caught so much fire off the, off of that Champions here mixtape that he didn't even need to do anything else really. I think he came out like well, one or two more, and then that was a wrap, and kind yeah. of like solidified himself. Yeah, he did three Champions here mixtapes. But then there were all those old D-Block mixtapes, because, you know, I mean, like, the Locks only put out two albums. So, you know, they pretty much thrived off of those mixtapes, and, um, you know, Styles P kind of flooded it with a lot. But, you know, I guess just in general, as the Locks, there were a lot. And then, remember back in those days, there weren't, especially like in the early days, you know, you didn't have artists doing whole mixtapes like albums you know so he was killing the freestyles on various other DJs mixtapes and stuff like that mm -hmm. so I guess that's where you know a lot of people put him in a top five conversation I was in somebody maybe it was Grandmaster Kaz or somebody talking about how Jada Kisses like you know in their top five of uh, MCs of all time 
Yeah, I, I need to go back because I, I just, I just, I, I never, I never even think about putting them in there. I don't either, and even, even, even when I listen to like these new freestyles, I'm like, you know, they're good, they're cool, and everything. But I think, I think just because he said it, top five dead or alive, and that's just off one LP. I think he said that on the Alchemist beat, matter of fact, <laughs> to bring it full circle. But mm. um. I think just by him saying that and putting it out there, that brings him into the conversation. Just like when Lil Wayne said he's the best rapper alive, by him saying that, that put him into the conversation. But, like, what if T.I. would have said that instead of Lil Wayne or, like, you know, somebody else, you know, how would that have changed, you know, the course of history? Or, like, what if Styles would have said that instead of Jada? Because I think Styles is a lot more consistent than Jada Kiss. Oh, yeah. Jada Kiss, but you know, and Styles, you know, I think he's improved over the years a lot too because I didn't used to like Styles for real. I thought he was like definitely a weak link, but you know, going back and listening, he's like my favorite one. And I had him as my sixth man in my top five at one point in my life. (laughs) I mean, if I had to say, I, I, I think I think Styles is the ultimate mixtape rapper, and no one can ever take his corner on him. Mm. Um, and I say that, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, maybe it's between Styles and Fifty because, as we, as we know, pretty much every mixtape that Fifty has pretty much come out with after you know his big success and his you know of course his commercial downfall that happens with every big rapper. Um, his mixtapes, his mixtapes are still good, but I don't know. It just doesn't still, it doesn't have like the certain that that rawness that you know that we're used to hearing, you know, from you know, G and Fifty Cent's The Future and stuff like that. I mean, even his his mixtapes, like he did that Big Ten mixtape. I thought that shit was dope, and then he did um, did he do a Gangsta Girls? He did like a Big Ten mixtape that was like the tenth anniversary of um, Fifty Cent is The Future. And then he did like another mixtape around that time, and then he just was dropping all these other songs for a mixtape that was supposed to come out that never did. The, um, I think it was like a SMS audio mixtape he was going to do, and um, he's he's very consistent when it comes to non-commercially released records. I think I just think that people aren't necessarily checking for that from him, or well, they weren't until he got back with G Unit. Oh yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I think about it, if um, if Big Ten was the Michael Jackson joint, right? Uh, you talking about the one where he said uh, a joint about you know God allowed you to crack on the street? Yeah. No, no, no. That was way before. That was uh, sincerely Southside. That was well, um, I- that was around the time of the second Junior album, I think, because they did um, they did this is Fifty Volume One and Two. Um, and then this is 50 volume three, I think was that one, Sincerely Southside, when he rapped on all the old soul joints. Okay. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the second G unit, um, uh, album that slept on for real. Yeah. I mean, I think the first one that slept on. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's weird because I think it sold over three million copies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But like no one ever talks about it. Yeah, no one ever talks about it. But that joint definitely has some some hard ass records on there. I mean, especially the intros, it was hard too. 
I didn't like the intro. I just don't understand the beat. Maybe I got to listen to it again, but that's like one of the only songs I didn't like on there. But just everything else, man, like, um, what was that joint? Um, I mean, yeah, popping them things on there. Of course, they had the stunt one-on-one. Those were the two big singles. Um, and that I'm so hood, I can't help it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and, you know, Dr. Dre, you could tell his influence was still there. So. Yeah. Um, but then I, I think it, it's, it's the, uh, that Michael Jackson mixtape thing, whatever it's called, and then War Angel. So I think I got out of, out of his posts, commercial, I guess release mixtape releases. I would say War, War Angel and and, um, and the, the Michael Jackson thing. Yeah, Probably my oh, favorite man. ones. Yeah, that War yeah. Angel that was serious. Yeah. I mean, that could have been an album, and I think maybe it was supposed to be an album, but he just dropped it as a mixtape that came out before. Um, that that came out before his uh, his fourth album, I think, the one where he. Um, had that crime wave joint. Yeah, yeah like what? The remix. Yeah, um, crime wave. Yeah. What was that album called? Um, before I self destruct. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you you know like a, another album, and you can tell like War Angel was supposed to be an album. Um, I went back and listened to um, Rob Marciano. I've been listening to it. Um, the the uh. The Pimpire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. and um, you know that that, that was a mixtape. Um, you know the come that came out before his his Marcy Boku album, or however you you pronounce it. Yeah, and I think it should be the other way around. I think the Marcy Boku should have been a mixtape, and Pimp, the Pimpire Strikes Back should have been his album because it's pretty much a cohesive project for the most part. Of course, he's playing a pimp as usual, and he just has like these different actors on it, but it kind of just all fits like the things that it's, it's kind of like a, like a regular like day in the life of him being a pimp or something like that. <laughs> and like, I think lyrically, I think like he had like, I think that like he, he like his best lyrically on that mixtape mm. actually. And because you can tell that he, he, he went into it kind of like, you know, thinking of, um, thinking of making like a concept out of it, obviously. But for some reason, he never, I guess he never thought about putting it out as an album because you know, it's not as if he's using like other people's beats. He's using like, you know, beats from all over the place. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just remember listening to it and something about it just turned me off. I guess because he was talking about all that pimp stuff. And it, and just, it. <laughs> it just like, and that, you know, coming off his first two albums or, you know, the first two that we gravitated towards, it was just like, you know, what the fuck is this? Yeah, see, man, that's always that first thing. I said, man, let me go back and listen to this because, you know, I, I will always, like, revisit it for um, that, that uh, Sincerely Antique joint mm-hmm. with uh, Willie the Kid and Action Bronson because, like, that Alchemist beat is just, like, lovely. Yeah. Um, and I started listening to it, and, he, like, he's saying, like, some shit on that. He, he's, like, he says the, the, um, the, the I, I make the snub nose turn Rudolph. Mm. 
like 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 certain like slick shit he says and like the beats and like how how like his flow on certain beats like it's missing it's pretty ill. I'm gonna go back and check that out. I actually was skimming through Marcy Boku the other day because Spotify keeps um, suggesting it to me, saying I might like it. <laughs> of course, but um, the, I mean the thing that turned me off about that, which I guess was the whole point of it, was that it had a whole lot of features on it, and. You know, I think Rock Marciano has cultivated a certain sound, and when you add people to it, it gets diluted. But, you know, I'll, I'm going to go back and give it a chance, because one album that I I, I kind of hated on it at, at first, but went back and gave it a chance, and actually, you know, you know, gave it quite a few spins, was that last Sean Price album. And, mm. you know, they're kind of similar type of rappers to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, mm, I can see that. Like in um, terms of like beat selection and sometimes just rapping with no hook and just saying like little funny one liner non sequitur type joints. Yeah, it was funny. Like um, um, I was thinking about um, like you know, duck down everything like that and um. I remember like the the uh the combat jack episode that had I think Drew High and Buckshot on it. Yeah. Um and how they're pretty much like talking about how like pretty much, like Sean Price is pretty much the main reason why like you know Duck Down's where it is today. With uh because of monkey bars. Yeah, man, that's that album man <laughs> That was a great album. But see, but I, I never, I never like noticed that like um they actually they, they had like like the triple threat with um, monkey bars, um the the uh, buckshot night the uh, the chem the first chemistry joint yeah and uh what was the third one was it like it was it yeah yeah we when it came back up yeah yeah and like the covers were all like comic book and they all kind of fit together in a certain type of way yeah. Yeah, but that Sean Price really stuck out. I mean, you know, I I I did like the Smith and Wesson album, and I did like the Ninth Wonder and Buckshot album. Um, at the time, I think you said I said it was a classic. I don't remember ever saying that, but <laughs> you man, you 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 said you said that in Ocean City. <laughs> I don't know. I must have been feeling a certain type of way at that moment, but it did have some joints on there like that. I remember that one underground joint. I think you liked that song. Yeah, so yeah, whenever I sometimes go to YouTube and listen to it, unfortunately. That's <laughs> <laughs> all the shit we talk about. I know, right? But um, um, that was a genius marketing scheme that really brought them back because, you know, nobody was checking for Duck Down before them. Yeah. Um, I, was, I became a Duck Down fan, like. Yeah, I, 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 I <laughs> Dropped that uh, bootcamp click album shortly after that. And yeah, I remember, and uh, I, w- I was never too pressed by it. But um, I remember around the same time it came out, they did like a promotional tour, and they came to the Sonar. Mm. Like, I think maybe like a month after um, its release. But um, yeah, I remember like we went to Ocean City, and we you know we had like, had our, our CDs. You you could you could, you could just kind of tell like you know where we were like with our music, and that's when I was like on like my really hard. Busy bone kick at that time. Yeah. And I, I and um I had the uh, I got the Alpha and Omega 
and then it came with the uh, with the DVD and shit like that. And then you had, um, I think you, you had the, the listening, the the Big Brother joint. You had Night Wonder and the Buckshot. Little Brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Little Brother. Little Brother, and then you had the Buckshot and the and the, uh, the, uh, the Night Wonder. And then I remember because of the underground joint, I went to the Best Buy across the security, and I went to buy that um, the knife one in the bookshop, but then eventually I traded it with, um, I traded with Preston to get um, <laughs> the Busy Bone Heaven's movie mm. because I didn't want the bookshop anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember um, getting real heavy into that knife wonder sound. Um, to the first Little Brother song I heard, it was a joint called Airplanes. And it wasn't on the album. It might—I think they might eventually put it on the Chitlin Circuit, the first one, not the 1.5 that came out. Which I—I I did buy that. I might have had that too out in Ocean City. But that first Chitlin Circuit um, joint, and it was just like this whole concept of being on the airplane, all this type of stuff. And I was like, man, this is dope. I gotta listen to more of this. And I bought the mm. listening. I bought. That's that Chitlin Circuit 1.5, and then whatever I could else, you know, download from them. You know, I just was, I was on it. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else I had on that Ocean City trip because that was the second Ocean City trip, right? Or was it was that the very first one? It's probably the second one. I think it had to be the second one because I, I, I just recall like us. Um, because we we knew our way around at that time, and we always go to the Quiznos after we would like play mini golf and shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I always right. That was around the same time that Bizarre came out with Handicap Circus. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I love that album. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, um, um, I meant to uh, bring this up to um, as a as a topic, but that just makes me think of um. I was perusing the internet, and I came across, uh, I, th- I think it was a post on the source, and they were talking about um, Split Star's label came out with a video. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and they were saying, like, happy birthday, Split Star, or something like that. And I'm like, hold on, what? Split Star has a label. So... Mm-hmm. I just watched the video, and, uh, you know, it's a really, you know, it's just like a regular song by some dudes, you know, just, just real regular, nothing really special to it. It made me think, like, about just the whole career and legacy of Split Star. Like, you know, he might be the greatest hype man ever, because, you know, he could actually rap. And he's been busting rhymes hype man for so many years and it just made me think about like who are the greatest hype men in hip hop or you know, the best I guess B rappers to the A rapper. So I was thinking about like Split Star and Memphis Bleak, you got Tony Yayo and I guess, you know, with Eminem you got different ones. You you know you, you know, you have proof, you have um Mr. Porter you have uh, Royce Five Nine, and then you know you have Bizarre to some extent. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, you know, even with uh, Public Enemy, you know you got your um, your Flavor Flav to Chuck D, and it's just like man, like you know, 
made me think, like, damn, man, I need to do, like, a documentary or something on just the hype man. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, Split Star, he's been holding it down for a long time. And now yeah. he has his own bum-ass label. No <laughs> Yeah, man. Um, and I realize it seems like it's like kind of like a, se- a semi-trend where you have the hype men who open up someone's album and they they just kill it. And you just remember them for like opening up someone's album. <laughs> and like how like Splitstar killed Rod Dickens' first album. The, the fucking intro is crazy. Yeah. Um, on Dirty Harriet. And then, um, you know, with Memphis Bleak and how he opened up one of those, um, as, um, in my lifetime albums. Yeah. On the bad, premiere yeah. beat. Yeah, on the premiere beat of all things. So, yeah. And how, like, you know, a lot of talent, I think, gets <laughs> swallowed up. Because a lot of talent ends up being a hype man, where they could have been a star if they were able to, you know, branch out and stand on their own, too. Yeah. Like, I think about, like, Beanie Siegel. He kind of played a hype man role to Jay-Z at one point. And it's like, what if he never signed the Rockefeller but kept, like, working with the Roots and stuff like that? Because he was on, on the Roots album before he got with Rockefeller, I think. Mm. Like, you know, where would he have been, you know, had it not been for all that? Would he have disappeared somewhere or would he be even bigger? Because, you know, Eve was on that song, too. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Benny had his, well, I mean, he, he had his he had his chance. I mean, he had the state property movies coming out. He had the state property clothing line. He had albums that were going gold. And I, I, I believe he didn't. Didn't he make it to the source Power Thirty at one point? Because like State Pride made like twenty million dollars in one oh, year. Man, damn. It was something like that. I didn't know that. Yeah, like he made like a lot of money, you know. Because you know the State Pride they had like the the, um, the special pockets where niggas could hide shit from cops. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I remember that being a big controversy because they had the weed pocket and it was um, located in different places on different jeans. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so I, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, speaking of state property, um, uh, you know they're coming out with state property three. You you know I, I think I think you told me about that actually. Yeah, Dane Dash. He said you know he just got off the phone with Beanie Siegel and Nori, and you know everybody's back together and down with it. So. Oh. Whoa. Oh, Nori was in the second one, right? Because he damn sure wasn't in the first one. Yeah, yeah, I think he was in the second one. Because remember, Nori was uh, Rock La Familia. Oh, that's right, yeah. He was the president, and they all fell through. Yeah, but I mean, he brought reggaeton to the United States, so. Yeah, for like, what, two years? <laughs> man, reggaeton is huge, man. What, to this day still? Yeah, I mean, it's huge in, you know, the Hispanic community, but, you know, there's elements of it, I think, that, um, you know, branch out into pop music. But I was I was somewhere, where was I? I was somewhere today, and I heard um, some type of reggaeton song that had Sean Paul on it, and they were playing it in the, um, matter of fact, they are playing it in the subway. That um yes yeah, right that's right we went to subway after we left the museum 
and they're playing some type of reggaeton song with Sean Paul on it, and the guy who was making my um my sandwich. I'm not sure what ethnicity he was. I thought maybe he was Arabic, but maybe he was Hispanic. But that song came on. He just kind of started nodding his head, and he just zoned out for a while. <laughs> and well, he didn't hear what I asked him to do. <laughs> of course. But, um, yeah, man, that reggae song. And then, you know, when I was living in D.C., I guess, you know, I was living in a um, pretty heavily Hispanic populated area, and it's over spring, and that's all you hear in cars driving by. Hmm. Well, but speaking, of, speaking of subway, on a side note, um, are you still getting those uh, those veggie patties? Nah, 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 I'm not getting. I started getting those a long time ago because I found out they weren't vegan. Okay. Yeah. Um. You know, um, because I'm thinking, uh, I, you know, I'm I'm still on my uh this carton of a uh, soy milk that I have, and I think after this I'm gonna um wean myself up, wean myself up a soy milk free soy milk in my house at least. Mm-hmm. But when I go to Starbucks, I'll probably still get, like, you know, soy milk in my coffee. Um, but I think I'll, I'll try to see if the coconut milk, um, if, if, if it fits properly. Mm-hmm. Because I, cause I go there so much, they keep asking me about it. And so maybe if I just ask it, like, the right person, they can just give me, like, a sample of the coconut milk. Maybe I'll try it out. Do um, they have uh, almond milk at Starbucks, too? Nah. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure they're working on that though. Who knows? But um, but I'm thinking like you know, because you know, I, I also I use soy milk to cook with too. So I wouldn't see if I just get some unsweetened almond milk. Well, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, I mean, you know, that soy it um it either decreases your testosterone or increases your estrogen or both. But you know, it'll turn you to a woman. And see, that's the thing, man. You know, I, I already have this long hair, and now it's starting to get to the point that, you know, starting to, um, my, my twist out starting, like, to droop down, so my head doesn't really stick up anymore. Oh, man. Yeah, so I'm trying to figure out what, what to do with that. And the only thing I can think of is, like, you know, just kind of, like, tying my hair back. Why don't you just not eat dread it up? Well, I've heard that if you like dredge it, like if you want to like to get like really good solid dredge, you gotta like start when oh. you start growing your hair out. Oh, Other man. than that, it's not gonna really work. And I don't know. I gotta have to find different ways to do my hair, or maybe just walk around with my absolute. <laughs> because I don't, I don't, I don't have any intentions on cutting my hair anytime soon. So yeah. Um. So yeah. So I, I think I'm gonna try to. Get this soy on my diet, but then even if you like, you know, you buy, I bought like these these granola bars, and they had you know that that, that soy lecithin and shit, mm. and it, and you know you, you you just can't win. Like I I think soy is now the, the is the new high fructose corn syrup because now you don't see as much high fructose corn syrup in like a whole bunch of other products, and now they start to cut that shit out. But now it's soy and everything. Yeah, I mean. That's, I mean, that's why you gotta stay away from processed food. Like, I think the only time I really eat soy is like when I'm going out, or like you know, I, you know, you know, I try not to have it in the house. But um, you know, if I'm ordering some Chinese food, I get the bean curd, which is basically like tofu or whatever. Or like if I'm 
going to Chipotle, you know, I get the um the sofritas, which is basically like the seasoned tofu type stuff. But um I mean, you know, the actual soy is is you know, the soybean or whatever is poisonous to you and then they do whatever they do to it to make it not poisonous, but you know, I try to I, I try to keep it on delicacy mode and not, you know, straight diet mode. Yeah. Um I'm well, I, I'm like right now I'm, I'm just like trying to go through like my my the roller decks of like the shit I eat because I mean technically I don't really eat any type of process where everything I make is like from scratch at this point. And um but you know like I get like the granola bars because I I you know when I'm out like studying so I don't, I don't like spend money on shit. I just eat those and you know, they last me for like a good minute, so. But now I'm thinking I could just make my own granola bars, but granola is fucking expensive, so I don't know. Not entirely sure if I'll be really, like, you know, really be, you know, losing out on money or, or what if I start making my own granola bars. Because, you know, you get like a bag of granola for like $78. It doesn't seem like you're getting much. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess you have to incorporate other thing, other things. Um, hello? Yeah. Yeah, I guess you had to incorporate other things into your granola bars, but that's increasing the price more. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's an um, interesting trade-off. It makes you wonder why granola is so expensive, but granola bars are so cheap. Yeah, part of fucking this, maybe the, the, the soy thick, thickens it or, like, thickens, thins it out or something that, you know, gives it, like, a higher volume or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. So I don't know. I gotta, I gotta figure that out. Cause I think if I like, I mean, but I don't even get those like all like that. It's, like mainly with me, it's really just like the soy milk because you know, I, you know, I told you about the whole thing. If I do make coffee here, you know, I, I use the soy milk because for me personally, it just mixes best with with the coffee. Yeah. And in my experience, the almond milk doesn't really do that, do it that well. I mean, I, you know, I've had a good experience with the silk, um, unsweetened almond milk, but, you know, before that, and, you know, right now I'm out of almond milk, so I didn't feel like getting any more. I just drink my coffee black with a little bit of, um, of, uh, agave nectar. And that's, that's the thing, like, um, yeah, I drink, you know, when I, I drink coffee when I'm studying, you know, out, and it's, you know, and that's quite frequently, and so sometimes it gets born just drinking coffee, just black. So I like to switch it up every, every now and again. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was reintroduced to the um, to the joys of uh, certain flavors when I went to Dunkin' Donuts and found they had almond milk. So I had <laughs> that uh, that almond milk latte or ice latte because you know it was kind of hot. It was like eighty something degrees. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna get this. So I was like, oh man, I haven't had this in like two years. Mm. <laughs> Made me it's wonder if they actually put almond milk in it. Oh yeah, I um I, I had a um I, I'm like a Starbucks Gold member, so I, I had a free drink that um I was able to redeem, so I did that today. Mm. And I got a I got a triple venti vanilla soy latte. That was one of the most bougiest sentences I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> well, well, well being, uh, being a previous Starbucks employee, employee, that's how you probably said 
triple venti soy vanilla latte. <laughs> but then before that, you prefaced it with, I'm a Starbucks gold member. <laughs> Well, like, like for somebody who didn't know about, you know, your history <laughs> in, the, in the trenches with Starbucks. <laughs> well, <laughs> just like, for the imaginary, yeah. for the imaginary listener, you know, just in case they're trying to figure out like, how this nigga get like a free, a free Starbucks drink. You know, because <laughs> the thing is, like a lot of people, they go to Starbucks and they don't know about the awards thing. And you save money that way. So I'm trying to help the listener, the the imaginary listener out at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's like you got this, uh, this, uh, pro, pro, um, pro black type of person. <laughs> yeah, so I go to Starbucks, I'm a gold member, and I get the triple soy venti with a latte. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know. But, you know, I think it's, uh, well, I think it was a French philosopher. I think it was Montesquieu. He said, you know, the longer you're in society, the more you adapt to it. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's what's happening at this point. Um, it's funny, like, like you know, talking to, like, the certain co- like certain close colleagues of mine, we realize that we sit around, we talk about different, like, um, like travel mugs and shit like that, and like travel, like travel coffee things, and and you know different pens and shit like that to work with. <laughs> and these these are very important things in our lives. Like we, I got because I was kind of jealous because like one of my colleagues, he had a um, you 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 know like those those have you like seen like the um the portable like Starbucks cups they have now it's pretty much modeled as like the classic Starbucks cup but it's made of like plastic oh no okay well yeah so so um you can buy one for a dollar and you know and that's what I use but around the holidays they have like the special and see this is how advertising just fucks you up they had they had the special um Christmas ones (laughs) And they had like, they, like different color, like, different flavors, whatever, like that. And every time I was going in there, I'm like, damn, I should probably get one of those. But there's no point because I already had one. And so now, since you know the holidays are long gone, um, by the time my colleague he got into like getting one, he got the holiday one. Mm. And so he used the holiday one. I'm like, damn, man, I wish I got the holiday one when I was able to, because I could just switch it up. And now I can't. Maybe uh, maybe they have it on eBay, or maybe there's a Starbucks online shop where you can order one or something. <laughs> maybe, but then probably like five dollars. So, I'm, I'm, so I, I need to be patient and wait around for the holidays again. Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. What's happening earlier? Whichever one the listeners uh, um, follow. Oh man, that's a whole nother conversation right there. <laughs> yeah, what's the nature of the threat type shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of nature of the threat, man, um, cannabis is back. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I sent you the record that he did with Grunge Nazareth. I thought that joint was dope. I, I, I mean, maybe I just like the beat, but I sent it to my girl and she was like, I have no idea what he's talking about. And so I was like, yeah, I feel you. Um, I just sent it to you because um, he mentioned uh, Alex Jones and Prison Planet. 
And, you know, she looks at that on YouTube sometimes. And she was like, he's just throwing a whole bunch of stuff together trying to sound smart, but at the end of the day, he makes all black people look stupid. <laughs> I was like, damn. I mean, I tried to defend him, but, you know, that's kind of what it was. <laughs> I mean, well, kind of, but, I mean, at all. Um, I think I think I told you like I was like um, on the hunt for like the free his um a collection of his freestyles, mm-hmm. and uh, I finally found them. I, I found two two different collections. Other than, like one was on Dad Piff, and this other one I think it was on um the Kevin Nottingham blog. Oh yeah. Um, and I see I see what she what she, like the point she's trying that she's making. But if you listen to those freestyles, it makes sense. He just happens to be throwing some scientific shit into it. Well, I mean, the thing that I was telling her is that when you go back, like, his old freestyles, it did, like, it was more coherent and made a lot more sense. But it seems like now he's just kind of just jumbling things up together. Because, like, I was explaining to her, like, you know, back in the day how cannabis was, like, the man on the mixtapes. And, you know, he was supposed to be that one who was going to do it. And, you know, people used to just, like, how, you know, I used to put his verses up on my wall and stuff like that. And, you know, Cannabis was just like that dude. And his stuff made sense to, like, your average listener. Because, you know, now, I guess when people look at the type of hip-hop we listen to, you know, they have a certain connotation or whatever. But it's like, you know, when we were in middle school, that's what was popping. It was lyrics. And so cannabis just shit made sense. Like I splatter the brain matter of my enemies in the same um I splatter the brain matter of my enemies with the same bullet trajectory that murdered John Kennedy in the back of his cranial cavity, which is actually what happens to any motherfucker who won battle me. Like that type of shit makes sense. Like, you know, he might be throwing some extra you know, quote unquote big words or scientific terms in it, but you know, he was telling stories and stuff with it, but now you know, I see her point about it being, like, just a jumbled mess of just random terms and various conspiracy theories. But, I don't know. Everything doesn't have to make sense to me all the time. And, you know, it gives you something to Google and look up and, you know, see what he's talking about. And it's something different than, you know, Young Thug or Young Dolph. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, and you know, um, you know, and I think me, we've had conversations on and off about this, you know, periodically throughout the years, and you know, me personally, you know, I don't, I don't exactly want a song all the time that you know that tells me everything like straightforward. You know, I want to be able to like to you know like to go and, like research something and learn, and learn something new. Yeah, and like. You know, I was telling her, like, you know, before the Internet, like, the way we kind of learned about shit, at least me, was through rap music, you know? And, like, researching various things and all of that. Like, even you take a song like Nature of the Threat, like, that does a lot to somebody who doesn't really have very many resources into, you know, learning about, I guess, uh, revisionist history and you know, about the role of Africa and Africans in history and stuff like that. Or, like, um, just random things. Like, you know, you could take a Nas record, like, you know, I Know I Can or something like that. Or, like, 
you know, you had a lot of songs that, you know, let you know something. Then I started researching KRS One and he was the teacher. Yeah. But um Yeah, I don't know. I think um I think it you know, you need stuff like that sometimes to kind of balance it out because I don't know if you heard this Young Thug album, but um, <laughs> it's not much content to it. It's like, it makes me wonder sometimes, you know, what, you know, when people listen to hip-hop, it's like, what are you listening for? Or like, you know, sometimes people will be talking about like a certain mixtape or something, and they say, you know, such and such rapper was killing it. And it's like, you know, what does that mean now? Because, you know, killing it used to mean, like, you were really killing it. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like maybe between you and I don't, maybe my brother that I'm actually a bigger, um, I guess, fan of, of Young Thug. <laughs> Even more so than your brother? I mean, maybe I'm not. I'm not entirely sure yet. Mm. But um, like even like like uh like the line you told me that came that came from the album. I actually I kind of like it. <laughs> I mean, it's. It, I mean, it was just different. Like, I mean, this dude said, "When the police come, I put the crack in my crack." And you know, he said it in his young thug type of way. And then you know, with his his uh already you know, um, interesting persona when it comes to sexual ambiguity. <laughs> um, it just, it was just an interesting line because I've never heard anybody just brag about that on a record before. I think the most I've heard a rapper talk about it was Mano when he was talking about jail when that was in interviews and he was very serious about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he was kind of like, he was almost almost like a scared straight kind of dude. Like, you know, you don't want to go to jail because this is what can happen. This is what you might have to do. When Young Thug is just like, just bragging about that shit. Like, that's everyday life. Well, see, I, I think, like, at least for me, I mean, and, you know, I, I, I am certainly not, uh, I have not thoroughly listened to Young Thug, but, like, the songs I've listened to, he just has like a certain like aura and thing about him, and you know, you know, I had a conversation with my brother a while ago. You know, he he go he's been going on his rants every now and again about skirts and hip hop and shit, and um, you know, I said, well, you know, he's at Rocky, he pretty much wore like a skirt too, and he just, he wasn't too fond of me saying that, <laughs> but you know, I I think. I, I, I did we did we go into like the whole thing about like genres? Or, yeah, we did about, about Teddy Boys. I think that was that was the previous one, right? Uh that was episode three. Yep. Yeah, about Teddy Boys and you know how genre you know when a genre comes out, it's rebellious, and then after a while, it's go, it it just goes into the fabric of society. Um. And, you know, a lot of times, my brother, he says, like, hip-hop hip -hop was a rebellious culture. So was rock and roll. So was jazz to a certain extent. So was blues. So, I mean, I mean every genre has, had some type of, has, has had some type of rebellious quality to it. And yeah. hip-hop, at this point, 
it's not it's not that anymore. And so this is how it's sort of how you had like it's in pop or rock and roll, whatever whatever you want to call it, Prince. You had people, sexually ambiguous people like Michael Jackson and and Prince come out of nowhere, and you know no people question them, but then after a while they just don't. I'm not saying that I exactly you know condone what's going on in hip hop right now, but. You know, I do think Young Thug is a very interesting character, and he can actually rap compared to um, a Young Dolph or some of these Ram niggas will come out with 90Q who have one song and then they just die and do something else. Like um, the guy with the ice cream, the ice cream paint job. What's his name? Oh, 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 oh. Um, what's his name? I think that's a bad example. I feel just du- I Duro. Duro, yeah, yeah. I think that's a bad example because he's had a lot more songs than that, and I think he's he's popping in his region. Like he's not one of these dudes who just completely disappears off the face of the map. I just happened to see some shit with him in Juvenile recently. Okay. Yeah, so I I don't know. I think I, I think whatever he's doing, he's you know maybe he's like the red cafe of his city or something like that. Okay. Like, you see certain people who just kind of. I think a good example of what you're trying to say would be somebody like Q. Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> the dude who did um, Bobby Johnson. Oh, okay. And, you know, I see him all the time, like, putting out these mixtapes and stuff, but it's like he's struggling to to to, to hold on. And I think it's because, you know, he kind of came out kind of fucked up. Like, because, you know, people think his name is Bobby Johnson, but the guy who made the beat's name is actually Bobby Johnson. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, Young Thug, he definitely has, um, you know, definitely unique style and presence, and he fits on the beat really well. And you know, sometimes when you can understand what he's saying, sometimes it is interesting and clever and stuff like that. But sometimes he just gets into the trap of rapping over the same beat over and over again, like the same shit, and then rapping about the same shit, and you don't get any insight into him, where he comes from, you know. And I think a lot of that thing that um, makes people graduate or um, uh, gravitate towards him is his Lil Wayne-ness. Like, he basically took the things from Lil Wayne that made people gravitate towards Lil Wayne and used it for himself. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. But, well, I mean, I'm not, well, yeah, I, I would never say he's like, he's fully developed yet, but. I mean, I, I think he's at the same stage that Wayne was when he came out with those, those terrible, horrible drought mixtapes. They were just, they were horrible. All the of three? All those damn drugs were, they were oh, terrible. Oh, man. Man. He got, he got better around the, the dedication. Even the dedication, even when the Carters came out, they were kind of... Well, the droughts, kind of, I think the droughts were in between... What the... Well, uh, weren't the droughts in between, like, the dedications and the Carters? Because I think the drought 3 came out before the Carter 3, didn't it? I, 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 was always under the, I was under the assumption, the impression that 
the the drought mixtapes were like before the dedications. No, I don't think so. Because I remember the first dedication must have come out when I was in high school. And but that was around the same time the first Carter, though, right? Yeah, maybe even before that. Yeah, I think that that, that the first dedication might have been promo for the first Carter. And um, I remember the Drought 3 came out. Because I remember he was rapping over um, this Beyonce beat, and then he was rapping over the Jay Z "Show Me What You Got" with the "Those What I Got." Um, yeah. So um, maybe you're thinking about. Are you thinking about them squad up mixtapes? Well, I'm thinking about them. Well, I, I really think like the, the squad ups and the droughts, they all kind of mixed together with me because they he he sounded the same. Like he was still trying to find himself. And he was just, like rapping over any beat he could like kind of find as hard as he could. <laughs> I mean, I was, it's funny because I went back and listened to some of the Squad mixtapes, and I actually have a new appreciation for them because they're like real mixtapes. It's like like scratching on them and stuff to like bring in new tracks, and he's just rapping like straight through. But you know, uh, I I realized that it seems like a lot of times when it comes to, like us talking. Between like you, me, my brother, and I guess other people, if by people, we always end up kind of saying that like the southern southern people are in so many ways of keeping like certain things of hip hop alive, and this kind of reminds me of like when Gucci Man was kind of like on like that like those random freestyle rants that he was doing, and you can you, but you can actually tell that he was really freestyling. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um like uh the uh um the the, the classic YouTube joint. I um I was up. Yeah, I was up in the atrium, like the gymnasium. <laughs> uh, that one, and, and then of course the classic Shook Ones joint that he did, and oh, we, it wasn't really good. But you just you, you can only respect it because he, he was on he, he was on point flow wise, and it was it was actual freestyle. Yeah, I mean the thing, you know. I, those freestyles, they gave me, like, some of the biggest laughs of my life. But I guess watching them with someone from their era and generation, you know, one of my younger um, friends and, you know, one of my younger friends who has, like, you know, deep street involvement, and he was, like, kind of explaining it and, you know, like, you know, why he likes it and stuff like that. And then, you know, he was kind of saying what you were saying, like, and, you know, he's really freestyling, you know, kind of bringing it back to the hip-hop aspect of it. And I was like, yeah, you know, I can't really hate on this too much. So, you know, it it, it kind of gave me a different appreciation for, you know, what Gucci Man was doing. But then at the same time, you see what Charles Hamilton is doing out here freestyle-wise, and it's just like, you know... There's a, there's a, I think there's a party aspect of freestyling to where, you know, sometimes you're at, um, sometimes you might be at like a college party or something and people just start freestyling and they're not rappers, they don't claim to be rappers, they're just, I guess, civilians, but, you know, you <laughs> rap because it's, be, be, because it's something that's fun to do, but you're not taking it seriously and that's kind of what a Gucci Mane freestyle was like to me. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, cause, you know, like my, uh, like, you know, one of the people that, you know, I, I lived with, you know, um, um, for a certain amount of years when I was an undergrad, um, you know, 
um, him and his boys, they would get together, they would put on, they would like get like some instrumentals and off of YouTube and they'd just be drinking beers, just like just going back and forth freestyling like hours. I would just hear him for hours just freestyling and laughing and having a good old time. And it always kind of like related back to like what you said, like, you know, thinking about that. And, um, and we, we mentioned it, um, I think on a previous one, um, about, you know, the, um, the recording of the folk culture all throughout, um, the United States, throughout the South and stuff like that, and the Georgia Sea Islands in the 30s with, um, and Alan Lomax. Yeah. And what he was doing, and you know how you know how how he got the, uh, especially like the the the, the Georgia Sea Islands people and the prison ones, and you know the the, um, the the prison songs, yeah. And how these really aren't any professional people; they're just doing it because it's they ain't they ain't supposed to do. <laughs> for the most part. Hold on, hold on. I think everything that you just said broke up. Um, you were saying the um. The, the uh, prison songs and the uh, Georgia Sea uh, Islands. Yeah, yeah. So the prison songs and the Georgia Sea Islands that Alan Lomax um, recorded in the 30s mm-hmm. through, like, the Library of Congress. Um, if you think about, you know, if you think about it in the same context of, like, Gucci Man and, um, and you know, other, like, people just freestyle just for the sake of it being fun. Um, you know, it's it's like a it's a it's a it's a part of a heritage, you know, like with these prison songs and like with the people and, and with the Gullah culture that people just do it just for the fun of it and they don't they don't really take it seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. And like now we have you know so many different ways of capturing it. You know, it's really it's really part of culture because I don't know. It's like you think about how many people you rap with and freestyle with coming up and you know a lot of them maybe had an inkling or an intention of doing something with it but you know a lot of them didn't and even the ones who did you know it just fades after a while yeah um and like like thinking about that and like thinking about um you know like toasting and then you know um um like you know uh um, oral histories. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think this is why, like, this is like, like, I guess bringing everything full circle when it comes to, like, you know, me, like, thinking about, like, what's going on right now is like a hip-hop renaissance is because of the fact that we are getting these, these oral histories recorded through these podcasts. Especially, right. I think, the most important one, I think, sooner or later, I think one of the blogs will probably put this as, a, as, like, a pivotal moment in, like, podcast history, at least hip-hop-wise, is when Combat Jack got that really in-depth interview with, um, uh, Grand, uh, Grandmaster, um, no, I mean, damn, uh, Cool Herc. No, 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 Cool Herc. Oh, Cool Herc, yeah. Damn. But, but, well, actually, even the one with, uh, with the Grand Wizard Theodore that Warren Epstein did. Yeah, yeah. Those were two of the, like, the ones that really take you back bad to, like, the basic beginning of, like, everything and how everything worked out. Yeah, and, you know, like, in in, in thinking about where hip-hop is, like, right now, like, how we have people like the Young Thugs and how they're kind of, you know, becoming, I guess, a lot of these, the, the newer artists are becoming a bit more sexually ambiguous, like how, like, a lot of rock and roll people have been, 
by the time you know by the time this, these things started happening to a certain extent, it was by the, it was when rock and roll was really fully um, within the fabric of American culture, and you're seeing that now with um, with hip hop, and now and now, but at, at the same time, we're still able to. Um, have the people who started hip hop, you know, what the Grand Wizard Theater who invented scratching and Cooper who invented hip hop and Molly Maul who invented sampling. They're still around who they can tell the stories, which I think even, which I think even makes hip hop even more interesting right now. Because we still have the people around to tell the stories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you. One thing that, um, I've taken away from, uh, a lot of what you said is that basically Young Thug is uh modern day prince. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like I mean, and I mean, it kind of goes into like when I, I mentioned like maybe we should talk about grab because I like just, I mean I, I I look at him. I remember you you like you showed me that uh you sent me that video with him and some other guy dancing and with some type of like crazy like wind winding dance that was kind of like Jamaican. Yeah, and you know, all, like all this like all this. I mean. I would never do it. I would probably never be in. I would. I would. I, would, I probably wouldn't want to be in in a party where they're doing it. But he. I mean, he just has a certain thing about him that is that for some reason to me, this he he's just you know. He 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 does what he wants to do to a, to a certain extent. I just can't explain him. I mean, I, I'm not really mad at Young Thug because uh, I mean he. <laughs> He kind of perpetuates the shit that we kind of complain about right now, but I think eventually he will probably go into his own. He will he will grow into his into himself eventually. I think the same way Wayne did. Yeah, if uh, if uh, as long as he stays away from Holly Grove and uh, he's in control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all this beef and stuff that's going on. But um, let's take a break right here and uh, come back. Um. This is the uh, first segment, episode five, Channel 10 Podcast. Check out channel10podcast.com and all that, and we'll be right back at you in a few. Bow. Feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. Roll up, son. You got to do it, yo. Yeah, man. Yo, roll up, man. It's a different channel, son. Roll up. Hold on, man. Roll up. Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. Roll up. All good, baby, in every hood, son. Well, what up, yeah? CNN, Network, Channel 10, it's on again, street niggas, it's grown men, bold face, get in your face, stay in place, yo, crime late, cast more beef than Scarface, CNN, Network, Channel 10, it's on again, street niggas, it's grown men, bold face, get in your face, stay in place, yo, crime late, cast more beef. 